Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. Joey Williams is a proud First Nations man, born in Cowra, New South Wales. He played in the National Rugby League comp for years before successfully switching to professional boxing. What a lot of people don't know is throughout his incredible career, Joe was battling with suicidal thoughts and bipolar disorder. After facing his demons in some dark times, he wrote an autobiography called Defying the Enemy Within and started a company to help others deal with their battles and mental health. Joey Williams, welcome to the stick up. The term the stick up, you know, I, I get I get with background and, and, and everything like that, but uh man, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never been in a stick up before, so <laughs> first time for everything, brother. Well it's my in reference to my former profession in the banking industry, in in particular <laughs> the withdrawals department. <laughs> a beautiful way to put it. Mate, I'll tell you something, the first time I ever really look I've i watched you play football and I was aware of your boxing career and um Played with my my beloved Panthers and um, always a always a winner there, but I saw I was in prison and a, and you done a, a, a like a film about you know something about Johnny Lewis and it was your gratitude and uh, mate it really touched my heart and it was really um, expressed to me the importance of showing people how grateful you are towards what they've done for you in their in their life and I said to myself I want to meet this guy what an amazing guy what who has an ability to articulate himself in that way and I wanted to be like you. I wanted to be like you in that moment to many people who I, I was grateful for, you know, and, uh, and had gratitude for and um, I thought, wow, well, I'm going to meet that and here you are. Firstly, thanks for thanks for having me, brother. It's, uh, you know, we've been conversing for, for, for a good while now about different things and, you know, talking about, you know, just different people in, in why they end up inside and how they end up inside and behaviours that get them inside and stuff like that. So it's it's good to sit down with you and, and just chop it up a little bit and, and have a good yarn. But going back to that that uh, that day with Johnny Lewis, right, you know, right, right in the letter to Johnny Lewis, um, it was a program about being thankful for someone right, and grateful for someone in, in your life and somebody who stood by and, and looked after you. And, and I sort of, I turned it on its head a little bit. They said you ne- you need to write a letter for someone you're grateful for, and and everyone sort of wrote letters to their family, and and be- and it was about somebody standing by you throughout, you know, you, the challenges that you've had with addictions, with with mental health challenges, all of that, you know. And I said I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it on its head a little bit and and do it a little bit differently. And the boxing gym just it just turned me into a different person, you know. I, I always say that. Boxing taught me how to fight, and people are like, well, well, duh, that's what boxing does. But not 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 taught me how to fight physically. Boxing taught me how to fight mentally. Anyone anyone who's ever been trained by Johnny, but or, or even just conversed and, and been in the same room as Johnny, he's just he just has this presence. Hmm. You know, it's it's just so soft, yet so reaffirming that that he's got your back. And and you know, Johnny Johnny convinces you that you can beat anyone. Johnny convinces you that you can go through 
the toughest of challenges and come out the other side. And that's what that's what boxing and being in the gym with Johnny did for me. I come from a from a time when when coaches screamed at you when you weren't doing what you should be doing or, or, or you're lagging behind in the fitness, they, they screamed at you. Fitness trainers and stuff screamed at you to get going. And, and I didn't respond to that. Mm. Like for me, that was like a, like a trauma trigger sort of thing, you know. Like I'd, it just made me go into my shell even more. But, and it was Johnny's soft, gentle touch that just made me believe that I could go through the toughest and darkest of times. And I don't care what anyone says, man. Like, like I'm pre- preparing for a, for a marathon at the moment, preparing for the New York Marathon at the end of the year. So I'm, you know, you you got to train. You know, I hadn't been doing a lot of running, so it's it's been a it's been a challenge for me to get conditioned. And one one of the guys, he was like, you know, you've never run a marathon, Joe. You don't know you don't know how tough it is. And I said, you're right, but I guarantee you, I've taken my myself and my body and my mind into some places that, that you wouldn't come out of. You know, boxing just does that. Yeah. When you've got to search deep within yourself and, and call on that, that little person that lives within all of us, when you've got to search deep within yourself, and as a footy player, I used to search within myself and I didn't like the person I found. As a boxer, I learnt how to grit down on my mouth guard and fight back. And, and that was probably, throughout my entire sporting career, one of my biggest challenges. Boxing taught me how to, moment by moment, round by round, just stay in the fight and keep swinging. Wow powerful i had the pleasure of meeting johnny lewis um he brought costa do uh, justin rousel and rube kennedy to mm. long bay prison and and just just to have a yarn just to have a yarn with all the boys and ring and man I, I understand that guy's presence and I, I hope to get him on here in the not too distant future gary jublin my previous guest is a, a trans with him every morning everyone that meets johnny lewis just says what a wonderful guy he is i've met him briefly and, and and I was just really impressed by his presence. Just that, as you say, just like a presence of a movie star or just some, you know what I mean? He's just got it. It's like a, a big brother, father, uncle, you know, grandfather type figure. All built in the one. It's just a, a beautiful, nurturing feeling. And any anyone that, he, that that he's trained within boxing will say the exact same thing. And rock solid, old, old school values. I remember reading his book and, in, and Russell Cox, Australia's Most Wanted Man, mm. was wanted... Or by all of the agencies all around Australia, and Johnny was meeting up with him. Yeah. Mid Costa Zulu had a big fight in Melbourne, and he'd done, done a double shuffle, making sure he wasn't being tailed, and went on his big train ride to meet his long term mate, and you know what I mean? And then he was there to pick him up when he got released after 15 years. For me, that's an impressive man that can keep his mouth shut, live by the code. Just a man of value. Yeah. Strong integrity, strong values, just a beautiful, beautiful man. You know, like how I actually. I, you know, got to know him a little bit more, and it was it was going into the boxing gym at, at Woolloomooloo PCYC. Um, Paul is Grove's gym. I was in I was in the second grade at South at them, and and just struggling for a bit mm. of fitness, bit of motivation, and all that. But I'd always, I'd always loved boxing. Yeah. You know, if there was Friday night fights and Friday night footy, I'd watch the fights every day because I gr- I grew up in gyms because my old man was a, was an old fighter and, and and a footballer too. Yeah, Wilfred, yeah, man. yeah. Dad always says to me, and I, and I said it in a in a, a short film that I did. I did many years ago now. Dad always says to me, everyone wants to be an NRL player, but NRL players want to be boxers. 100%. You know, like, yeah. and, and you look at all the footy players now having a, having yeah. a fight, you know, because it's it's the ultimate challenge, right? Yeah. Is it, it's that you're there and there's no one there to lean on. There's no 16 other players to back you up. It's it's something that, that is just so addictive and, and, and but beautiful mm. and, and ruthless all in one. Isn't that a great way to put it? <laughs> All right, Joey, 
Let's go back and talk about where it all started. Where'd you grow up? I'm a I'm a Cowra boy. So um, I grew up in a little place called Cowra, uh, you know, about three hours over the Blue Mountains. Um, humble beginnings. Cowra's a beautiful place. It was, you know, the old man played down in the Winfield Cup. Um, he played at East, West and St. George. Wilfred. Yeah, Wilfred, yeah. yeah. Uh, Willie Williams. Um, and he could, he could run a bit, Dad. He was, he was super fast. You know, a funny story. I, I think I went back. Back to Wagga when we, you know, we later later moved to Wagga, but I went back to Wagga and um, as a as a young punk, you know, playing in the in the NRL at the time, um, you know, thinking I was probably a little bit too good too good for myself, and always hear about how fast the old man was, and I sort of half challenged him, you know, and he was he was pushing fifty, and I was playing in the NRL. We lived across the road from a big softball field. He said, "Righto, let's go over." And sixty meters, he said. He goes, "We don't need to do any more than 60. Uh, and he said, "Come on, sixty meters." Went out there, like neighbors, everyone come out and watched, and he beat me by by two or three meters. You know, wow. but he's pushing fifty. Yeah, yeah. And I was playing. I was supposed to be at the height, fitness and athletically mm. playing in the NRL. You know, so yeah, we grew up in Cowra, and, and Dad was Dad played down here in Sydney, and then did you? Is it true? I don't know if it's true. My mate was saying your dad worked on the railways at one stage. Yeah, yeah for a long time. Yeah. yeah how about yeah. that? Yeah, and that was that was when we were at Wagga, you know, it was always, you know, travelling away and stuff like that. It was a um, fat lot if I... Yeah, 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 yeah well, uh, done your homework. <laughs> yeah. mm. he, uh, he, he always says, and a, a bit of a, a shout out to brother Troy Cassadaly, but he... I love that he always, train. <laughs> he always says, I can't listen to that because I worked on trains for years and That's years. It's on my playlist. Years, you know, encountered some different things within those systems and you know he was, he was a boss and a manager and stuff like that and uh made other people from other tracks had, had come over and you know look past him put, look past him in the in the car because he was the darker side you know dr- driving the other bloke around and dad said listen i'm the boss here um you know so encountered things like you know it's and, and a time of racism and and things like that so growing up in small towns in cowra uh and then and then we moved to wagga when i was about 10 I guess my footy journey started when I was about, you know, 13. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to have a few clubs knocking on mum and dad's door and the relationship still, and I still remember the conversation with uh, Tommy Rodonicus, actually. Wow, legend. Um, you know, talking to me on the phone, um, saying, you know, come down here and you'll play with the Magpies and, you know, um, and I was only a kid, you know, I was only 13-year-old. And then it was funny, Artie Beetson. Then rang wow, up legend. and Beto rang up and I remember the conversation um, and he said to mum and dad, you tell, you tell Tommy to stay away from him, you know, he, he's coming with me. And they were best of mates then blokes. Yeah, they, and, and th- that's who he was laughing, you know, if anyone knew Beto, you'd know he's big bellow and laugh. Mm. Um, he was laughing, he said, you tell Tommy to go out and look after some other boys, your, your boys come with me. So uh, I, was lucky, I was lucky enough to sign with the Roosters at a young age to a scholarship contract and mum and dad was smart you know mum and dad said we don't we don't care about money or we don't care about the prestige of football what we care about is your education and the club who gives our boy the best education is going to get him did you come to sydney for that i stayed in wagga uh from year seven year seven to year year 11 Mm. all my schooling was paid for from seven to 12 but seven to 11 i stayed in wagga and then uh come down here and did uh, my HSC over two years at Marcelin Ramwick. What was the education like in um, Wagga? Was it a private school that they played for? They they put me through a private school, which was which was an all boys school. There were there were different different challenges as mm, you know we all have as as kids and that you know the conversation around toxicity and toxic toxic masculinity now. 
you know, the, the conversations that, that weren't fantastic and the, the behaviors that weren't fantastic that, that were probably normalized back then. You know, I, I won't say anything, you know, horrific, horrific happened to me or, 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 or was I witness to anything, but, but there were certainly some, some behaviors that I'm not proud of uh, within our circles and within what I did. You know, yeah. it's, uh, the beauty of growing up, the beauty of, of maturing and, and knowing the difference that between right and wrong, you know. In those sort of them schools, like, like I work in the field of trauma. I work helping survivors of institutional abuse. But did you, did you in that sort of school? Did, was there any exposure to any of that sort of stuff? Like whether it be physical or sexual or psychological abuse in those sort of schools? I, I didn't witness any any um, any physical physical or sexual abuse. Yeah. There were yarns. Yeah. There were yarns. And they're damaging. Um, yeah, that they are. And and again, nothing nothing that I saw or witnessed. Yeah. Pointing the finger and stuff like that, and mm. you know, stay away from that bloke and stay away from that teacher and things like that. That's vicarious, isn't yeah, it? And, yeah. And uh, I was quite a mature kid too because I was I was playing grade footy out, back out in the bush then yeah. at, at a very young age. Yeah. When I was in year eight and nine and ten and stuff like that, so everyone knew our family. Yeah, yeah. It was a strong footy school, so there were some ex footy players with, that were teachers. Mm. Um. So everyone knew our family and. My dad had a rep- bit of a reputation that that's probably not the kid that you want to <laughs> cause trouble with. Yeah, know? that's good. That's good. Like growing up in Mount Druitt, there was plenty of families like that. You know what I mean? The old man was this tough guy that his car could be unlocked. The house could always be unlocked. And that's a place you never went. You never done anything wrong to that family. I, I dare say it'd be similar for you. You know what I mean? A story in the last few years, actually, is the old man's bike got knocked off from from our house, like our family house. You know, it's uh, it's well noted that the area that, that mum and dad live in um, and the house got knocked off and they, they clearly didn't know whose house it was, you know, and and literally within 24 hours, within within putting a, putting a message on social media and stuff like that, the bike was back. Nice. The bike was back. But also the kid bought it back who took it. Nice. And and it was more, and again, you know, some, some cousins and stuff obviously – you know, did the rounding up and make sure who it was who it was, and and and, and advise a young fella that it'd probably be best best option for him to bring it back. Yeah. And um, you know, and Dad sort of sat him down and said, "Mate, I ain't going to judge you because I've been in every boy's home in the state. But what I'm going to do is say, if you ever need anything, knock on me door. Don't come here knocking things off. Knock on me door, and if you need a feed, I'll give you a feed. Yeah, beautiful. You know, if you, if you need some money, you know, we'll, we'll work something out. And again, like like it, mate. I've <laughs> I've had local I've had local cops in Wagga because again you know small community footy community all that sort of stuff local cops that you play footy with ring you up and say listen where's this kid and I'm like listen brother that's your job to do not my job yeah um, just because we know who's where and 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 we can we can get things brought back within a short amount of time that's the bit of the Corey Grapevine you know look you know, I love we, the we Corey sort of, Grapevine we look after each other in that respect mm. um, and again it's I think it's because of the respect that 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 our family's got within the community. Also, it helps that we can hold our hands up a little bit, if, yeah. you know, if, if 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 push comes to shove. But we've never been about that no. ever, like ever. You know, it's I know it your reputation. I've never heard that, Joey, and I've never heard that you're a, you're a bully or anything like that. I've never heard anything like other than just an absolute gentleman. You know what I mean? And a really good community. I think communication's the key, isn't it? Well, I think Russ, you just said a, uh, a, a an, an important point or an important word i've never been a bully i had i had been mm. that was a thing right the and and someone tried to call me out on it recently and said you know joe you weren't a nice person at school 
there were times that you did things and that weren't really good. And I cannot sit there and go, that wasn't me because mm. it was me. Yeah, well. Was I going through some challenging times mentally and emotionally? Yeah, I was. But does it make it okay? No, it don't. So there are times in my in my life, in the history of who I am, that I look back and go, like, that ain't me. You know, like, it was me. But, yeah. You know, and, and and what do you reckon was behind it then? Behaviors always come from somewhere, right? Yeah. Is it is it you know brilliant uh, mentor that I lean on a lot, Arnie Judy Atkinson in the trauma field. She always says behavior is language. Oh, I love her. Look at look at the behavior and don't judge the behavior. Look at where the behaviors come from. I was the young punk who thought he had it all because of you know all the footy clubs and 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 all of those things. And I was playing first grade footy at you know fourteen and fifteen year old playing against men on the weekend and. Again, you get your name in the paper and that sort of stuff. Your ego's out of control. Looking back, and this is where, like, it's, I guess hindsight's a beautiful thing, but but also where you can guide your own kids a bit. Mm. I had to learn to be different, Russ. I had to because mm. they were behaviours that, that weren't weren't great. Uh, and there were some things that, that have happened in my past that, that, that aren't great stuff, mate. And, and you know, I recently reached out to a, a guy and said, mate, if, if I was ever a dickhead at school, I apologise. Again, there was some there were some things going on, you know, circumstance at the time. Uh, I won't ever blame that or point it to that. I'll just say that I needed to make better decisions and I wasn't at the time. But, you know, we get to grow. We get to grow and, and I don't know a I don't know a single human being that is the same person as a forty year old as they were as a fifteen year old. With the um, bit of work that we're doing and hopefully getting you involved in the mentoring stuff within the prisons. I like to go and say, okay, what's the underlying issue of where you are now? And we call it rewind. So we go, what's the under... And they go, I'm in prison because of violence. What was the underlying issue of the violence? It was drug addiction. What's the underlying issue with the drug addiction? It's trauma. That's where we need to start working. You know, that's where we work. Many of us have been saying in in this field or this space is that where the challenge is, is that we don't have people who are trauma-informed at the big end Mm. that are signing off on millions of dollars to fix people. Yep. You know, because because what we're doing is, is sending millions and millions of dollars into communities as band-aids. I agree. You, you pull the band-aid off, the, the, the same behavior is going to be there. It's like it's like you'd lock someone away for 10 years. If you haven't addressed why they went in there, then they're going to come out with, with the same behaviors, if not worse, you know? What I've found in particular in the prisons is prisons traumatize already traumatized people. Mm. Joey, I've just noticed um, your tattoo says you'll never walk alone. Can you explain that? I'm not a Liverpool fan. Uh, <laughs> Who's your team? And mate, I don't, I don't watch it. I could say man, you, you know, yeah. because that's a, you know, probably the, yeah. one of the one of the bigger teams. You'll never walk alone. It's probably a play on, on the fact that that people who struggle with depression think that they're they're the only ones going through it. Mm. People who are struggling mentally and emotionally think that they are the only one and absolute in this fight by themselves and no one will understand and you know no one else will relate to what i'm going through and that's that's probably you know the furthest thing from the truth because every single person that we know goes through this goes through the exact same things exact same thoughts exact same feelings of being so isolated so for me it was a play on the fact that you know being a first nation man as well that i come from a lineage of thousands and thousands of people over thousands and thousands of years and generations of people. 
that we believe that when we die, we go into mother, go back into the earth. Our, our spirit goes up into the stars and then is reborn back down. And that reborn back down into another animal, another, another something with spirit. So we believe that, you know, everything has spirit, you know, trees, birds, everything. So that's where we get our totem systems and so forth like that from. Mm. So the fact that we are surrounded constantly by things, by, by spirit, by, by the old people, mm. um, as we say, is a play on the fact that, that I'll never be alone. As much as you think that you're alone and as much as your head tells you that you're alone, it's a reminder that I'm never alone. You know, every every tattoo that I've got, every marking that I've got on my body is, you know, there's there's purpose and there's meaning behind it. That's beautiful, man. Like uh, being being a person who has suffered uh, depression and suicidal ideology myself. You know, I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I get it. I get it because with the benefit of hindsight, I've looked back and thought, you know, what I thought I was alone at the time, but I was never alone. There was a presence there. There was something looking over me because I am here today. And the thing is, we, we push everyone away from us. You know, here's the thing, Russ, is that I go around to communities and speak to hundreds and, and, and thousands of people. The conversation is always, you know, we need to reach out for help when we're not well. You know, mm. it ain't weak to speak, all of that. Mate. Those things are, we need to show more empathy for people who are going through the challenges because for anyone who's been through the challenges, as much as you know to reach out, as much as you want to speak, as much as you know that speaking will be beneficial to you and how you're feeling, you can't do it. Yeah. So I go, I go around the world and speak to people and say, "Listen, you got to, you got to reach out to people when you're not well." Um, and then I changed, I changed how how I did that because I, I said I can't, I can't tell people to reach out when I'm being hypocritical, sitting in in a room surrounded by a thousand people, and I won't reach out either, right? So I, I tell people the opposite. I tell people to reach in. Right, so what I mean by that is that is that we need to be a little bit more observant of people and people's behaviours and those that are in our circle, because if we start to pay attention to everyone, we start to have a look at how people are feeling, what they're going through, what they're saying, every every mannerism, every behaviour, then we'll see and feel when something's off. Right, so that's when we need to reach into people wow. rather than waiting for people who are in pain, because it always puts the onus on the person who's going through it the most. Let's not wait for them. Let's start reaching into other people and, and you know, start helping each other out a bit. Well, yeah. Recently, Brendan Batty, a bloke that you fought mm. in the boxing ring, mm. I, I was with him on a table in the fights on a, on a Saturday night. Happy as Larry getting photos taken, commit suicide on a Monday night. The challenging thing, man, and this is, and this is why, you know, what I said isn't mean to be isn't mean to be triggering for people at all when I say, I say that you know we will we will see the signs because people will hide them and they will make sure that you don't see them yeah that's that's the challenging thing again you know we can be surrounded by and 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 bomber would have been surrounded by a thousand people that night mm. and probably felt that he couldn't reach out you know in prison prisons describes as an intense social experience that's how you describe it you live in a wing, 60 blokes, often for years at a time. You can pick up on people's vibes. You can know our mate's kid is a bit crook or anything, without him saying it. You become so intensely observant of people's behaviours. And, and I think over the years, I think maybe I've played a part or, or my friends, have, I've, we've all played a part in maybe saving someone's life. The girlfriend breaks up, leaves him with it. 
and just being there and, and, and I think, you know, letting that person know that they're loved, they're validated, how they feel is important to express. How I felt didn't feel important anymore. And I think, you know, for me, like to hear, it is important and someone wants to hear it, like genuinely wants to hear it and I might just tell me about it. Well, people who are in pain mm. because let's not forget that everything inside their head is telling them that no one cares anyway. Yeah. So if if you have an inkling that that person don't care, then you're convinced. Yeah. Because your head's telling you that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, you're bought. You buy the idea. Let's talk about childhood trauma. You, you mentioned that your father experienced uh, every single boy's home in New South Wales. Was there any intergenerational trauma from that? When we talk about intergenerational trauma, Russ, we're like, we've got to understand that every one of us got it. Every single one of us. Mm. And what trauma is and, and, and how that, that story plays out is vastly different for everyone. You know, like we're all on the track of dysfunction somewhere, but some of us are just a little bit further on, you know, um, and understanding it. You know, when I say that he's been in every boy's home, I don't know if it was every single one, but he, you know, he, he openly talks and, and says that he's that he's been in quite a few. And I, I, I don't tell dad stories. Probably, it's probably a, an idea to get, to get dad on one day, you know. Mm. My dad... He's a, he's a guy who can he can hold his hands up all right. You know, he knocks about in different circles. You know, jo- Johnny Lewis, you know, says to my boy, he goes, geez, your grandfather could fight, mate. You know, and dad dad fought as an amateur and it's probably his, his biggest regret that he didn't turn pro. But, you know, when we talk about young people that, get, that go into the system, you know, dad, dad was raised in a family with, of, of 11 kids. I think Nan had 10 kids under 30 wow. when Pop passed. You know, and dad was, dad was only, you know, I think seven or eight at the time. So you look at you look at what that is, and again, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to tell his story, but you look at you look at what that is, and and you find you find different ways to cope, you know, and 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 coping might be how you get a feed. Coping might be when you got to punch on. States of survival, as I said, I'm not I'm not trying to tell anyone else's story, but there's a hell of a lot of young people that are that are caught up in systems because they're out there just trying to survive. You yeah. know, I, I wrote a blog I wrote a blog uh, a few years ago now saying that um, we judge criminals wrongly because criminals aren't bad people. Criminals are people who are extremely traumatised and have developed different behaviours to get by. You know, so, so the old fella was in the system uh, a bit uh, growing up as a young fella. There's different things that he, probably behaviours that he, that he adapted from that. My dad's one of the cleanest blokes I've ever seen as well. You know, with with yeah, everything's folded neatly and beautiful. Oh, like, I, I go I go home and I stay I stay in his bed and you know mum and dad and you know separate separate rooms and all that sort of stuff that old that old school uh, vibe that that happens and and I'll camp in dad's bed and then he'll be up me the next morning because it's not done properly. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's because it's not made Hospitals, up properly. Hospital corners. Yeah, you know, like. Every every t shirt in his drawer folded immaculately. It's called three board square. I know it. Yes. You know? <laughs> we learn in the boys' homes. So he's one of those guys, that, and this is why you know he then worked in the boys' homes as well um, down at Wagga at Riverina. Yeah. He saw some things in there that that made him get out of it as well. Again, it's we we talked earlier about trauma informed practice, right? And what that is, and you know, it can be used as a, as as just a as just a term or a phrase, but. What we need to be doing is is being formed or educated the fact that all behaviours come from a place of trauma, right? Whether it's learnt good behaviours or it's learnt bad behaviours. Mm. You know, the old fella, uh, he's, he's developed a hell of a lot of behaviours that, that, that work for him. 
you know, like he's super clean and, and you know, he, you know, he's always got a mop in his hand and things like that. That's a trauma response. Like it, it's all it's all coming from, again, the, those early years of, of, of what you need to do. But also think about the time when he grew up as well as, an, as a young Aboriginal follower in the 60s, living on dirt floors where you got to sweep the floor till it's shiny, right? And And if you didn't have a clean house in the 60s, when the government men turned up, there's every chance you get your kids ripped off you. You know, so what things like that. That's trauma. Mate, of course it's trauma. Mm. I speak. I, I do my best to speak to my nana a fair bit mm. around different things. And she said to me once, you know, you can see coming up the old dirt road, the, the old cars, which when you knew it was because they never had cars. Yeah. So you knew when the cars were coming up the old dirt road that it was someone to look at you, look at your house, look at how your kids are, you know, if they're clean, all of that sort of stuff. And Nan said that she used to say, quick, go, run, run down the river, go and hide, go and hide, at the fear that your kids would be taken away. What a horrible way to live. Well, here's the thing, Russ, is that, and, and, and I said this in my in my speech when I when I won the, um, the Citizen of the Year uh, back in Wagga in 2016 when all sorts of stuff happened with that, which is a completely different story and different bloody podcast. But if them men take my dad, my dad don't meet my mum. I'm not here. Mm. That's how close it is. There's people in my circle that had their parents removed. You know, their parents come from, from that place. Plenty in jail. You know? Plenty plenty of people in jail were the, were the children of people from the stolen generation and, and that was in a generational tra- uh, trauma, what those kids had been through man like wow they were some pretty and a lot of them were extremely like there was a predis that that predisposition for violence comes from trauma well it come well, what that is right let's go a little bit deeper into that that comes from survival mm. the the fight or flight response that happens within within our within our system within an within an instant is standing there to either run from or stand there and, st- and start to swing, mm. you know, and 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 a hell of a lot of times and a hell of a lot of experiences, there's people who are who are placed in events of survival that get themselves in trouble. So we've got people who are who have been locked up for years and years and years that are in there out of survival. So let's go back further, and it might not have even been that instant or that that charge that got them in there. It starts years and years and years yeah. before that. Yeah. Right. And, and again, it starts around disassociation of pain, of discomfort, right? Mm. What I mean by disassociation, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, is is disassociating yourself from that discomfort. Yeah, and not show emotion. Not show emotion. Then as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, what do you think you do to disassociate from discomfort then? You find as much substance as you can, put it in your body, and then you start hanging around with people that are doing the same thing and you start knocking with people who are all in pain themselves trying to disassociate from discomfort of things that have happened to us in, in our earlier years. I'm not even talking about the pointy-ended stuff for us. Yeah. I'm talking about the stuff that every single one of us are exposed to that has been implemented in our lives, in our family systems, because we live with one mum and one dad if we're lucky. Yeah. I'm hearing you. You know, like like for thousands of years, brother, the cultural practice of our people, we had multiple mums, multiple dads, big families that always looked after all the kids. Going back to, you know, who were locked up and and serving serving big sentences are there because of 
because of pain. Yeah. Because they put them because they got themselves into situations where they had to find a way to dis- disassociate from the pain. I had a situation. I'll share it with you. This morning, two thirty-five. It was. I was two thirty-five, and um, slain into their bed with my partner. And I was, I was just, I was alive. I was really, I was really alive. And um, I was, and I said to her, you know, this is the first time in my life I feel healed. I feel really healed. And she said, why is that? I said, because it's the first time that I think I've really experienced love. You know. Wow. Yeah. And again, like. We see all these young people, right, boys, girls, 14, 15, 16-year-old, behaviours that, that, that get us in trouble at school, that are, that are getting, getting young people suspended and, and, and pushed out of the system, which then push them down, a, down the road of juvenile justice, and then, which then, you know, you graduate to the big house. It's all coming from a place of love. Mm. And a hell of a lot of young people do get the love, it's that conversation in their mind that tells them they're not loved. Yeah. So we'll search for something else. And we'll seek our, we'll seek our validation out in people who don't love us that want to manipulate us and use us. A, a trauma response right there. Yeah. You know, we- I've been that guy. We, we, end, up with, we end up in relationships where that, that are no good for us because of, you know, the different experiences that we have. We're all yearning. We're all yearning. Like the human body and the human brain is wired for love. Mm. Wired for love and connection. So we're all yearning for that. It's that place, you know. It's that place where you belong. Like, I, I, man, this experience I had this morning was like, I said to her, I said, you know, if I was to die right now, I'd die happy because I, right here, right now, I feel here. I feel that void is full. That's been replaced with something that I've been searching for my whole life. And it was just the most amazing feeling. We sat there. We've been texting about it all day. And um, it was just an amazing feeling. All of that... That hurt and everything was gone. It was replaced with something else. It was such a beautiful feeling, and uh, and I'll grow from that. You know what I mean? That's what I talked to talk today about young kids. I I want to I want to give a kid a hug and say, hey man, you're important. We're all trying to fill our cup, but we don't question why it's empty. Hmm. You know, we need we need to start to have a look at why it's empty. Yeah. I was asked a question. Um, I was doing some stuff with the MUA, the uh, the unions uh, crew, and and one of the blokes he, he asked me he said, Joe. Mental health rates are crippling throughout the world, right? Particularly in Australia. If you had an endless budget right now, what would you do? And I said, I would fund that mums and dads stay home with their babies. Yeah. And again, I'm I'm someone who's guilty of it. So so when you when you when you learn all that you learn and you go, Wow, like there's some stuff that I've got to fix from my past with the way that I've been a dad for my kids, right? Which is which is an ongoing thing. But our mums have our, our babies, and if they're lucky, super lucky, there's a supportive home. But then mums got mums rush to go back to work. Yep. Dad's out of the house working. You know, if we, again, if we're lucky, we're sending our babies to be raised by people they have no idea who they are, right? And then we send them to a school system and change their teacher every year in a system where they have no idea who they are. Yeah. Right. So what we're actually the the way that we are raising our kids is creating an ongoing traumatic cycle. You know, when my son was born, he came to our office. We, he was born on a Wednesday, had to come to our office on a Thursday so she could do the payroll and a rink like that. And, and I said to her, I said, you know, I want to stay home. I want you to stay home and be a dad, a mum, and me to, and she said, no, we can't afford it. And 
I said, what's the plan? She goes, he's got to go on a day camp. I said, he's a week old. So common, brother. Yeah, man. And you know what? Yesterday, he's 21 years old now, and yesterday we, we've got, he's had some problems, this kid, you know what I mean? I put my hat up, I'm hand up, man. I, I played a big part, and I spent a big part of his life in jail, and um, we, we slogged it out, and he said, I just wanted you to be a dad, you know, and... Oh, you know, he said, I just wanted you to be there. He said, I just wanted you to teach. Because I said, mate, you got to show people respect. He goes, you'll never let it show me people respect. Oh. <laughs> Talk, man. How's that hit you? <laughs> like a freight train. I'm a big fan of Steve Buildup and, he, and uh, Raising Boys and Manhood, the books Raising Boy and Manhood. And he talks about the Indigenous communities. He said how, how far advanced they were with the elder system than any other community in the world and how they passed on that knowledge through... Through the through the you know men teaching boys and you know at a certain age that the you know the the man took over raising the boy you know what I mean and man that that, that sort of touched me man like wow there's a brilliant book by Oprah uh, Oprah and Dr Bruce Perry called What Happened to You and it reframes the question of what's wrong with people to what happened to people mm. all right so all the behaviours that we have isn't because of what's wrong with someone it's because of what happened to someone right mm. and Dr Bruce Perry says in that book how ironic that the cultures that have been most marginalised throughout the world will be the cultures that the modern world turns to to heal its modern woes. Wow. Right? Indigenous societies throughout the world had it sorted. Right? And why we had it sorted is because of our family and kin structures and the way that we did things um, with, to and with community and, how we, and what we did and, and how we model it to our young people. The, the the current or modern system that we see, we have mums and dads and, and, and kids underneath them, right? And then we, get, we, we answer to our mums and dads, right? The old ways is that mums and dads were the authoritarians, but grandmothers, grandfathers, aunties and uncles were the ones who raised everyone, right? So the village, yeah? Yeah. You heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a kid. Our, our, our children were being raised by a village, you know, this is where I go back to our stories. Our stories are so important, right? The old dream time stories, the old dreaming stories. They're, they're so important, and people play them off like they're just, like they're just a picture book for ki- for kids in kindergarten. You know, and and I get that the conversation around that now is 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 louder than ever, which is great, right? But people don't understand or underestimate the true value of those stories. Is because all of those stories, no matter where we are in the country, you know, we're. Uh, a rock, a a mountain, a tree, uh, an animal. Every single animal has a story to how that animal came to be, right? How the birds got their colours, how the kangaroos got their tail. You know, Tiddalik the frog, right? Was you know was a big greedy frog that drank up all the waterways to each other. And people think, well, oh, that's just a cool story about a frog, right? No, no, no. It's about all of our stories have values underlying within those stories, lessons. Tiddalik the frog wasn't just about a frog. Tiddalik the frog was about sharing with people the importance of providing for community helping each other out right and then you look at how the birds got their colors wasn't just about how a bird got its colors it was about the story of helping people and and a particular bird didn't get any colors because it didn't help anyone Hmm. all of those stories have values that are aligned with our behaviors and when you broke those when you broke those stories or when you broke those laws then there was punishment and there was there was consequences but there was always lessons involved you know, there wasn't just a, a rap over the knuckles, you did the wrong thing. It was about why. The most important stuff was about why. And and I honestly say, and I say this to everyone that, that and that, that wants to hear, is that when people are showing interest in our culture, they've got to understand that our culture isn't just about 
the dance, the song, the artworks, the gatherings. You know, it, it isn't just about, those are products of culture. Culture is behaviors repeated over time, right? What's important is the stories that make up those things. So every art piece is a story. Every instrument has a story of how that came to be, why that came to be. Every dance is a story, right? All of those stories have lessons. And those lessons and values are values around love, care, respect, humility, compassion, sharing. And it goes back to Dr. Bruce Perry's quote, the old ways of indigenous peoples will be the modern things to heal our woes. You know, let's look at some of the behaviors that we have in our community now. We're breaking those old laws. We're breaking those old stories. And the, and the practice, you know, when a lot of people talk about the practice of, you know, a, a boy becoming a man and, you know, the, the, the ceremonies around that sort of stuff, it was all about stories, which those stories had lessons and values around behaviors, which then turned into obligations back in community. So the elders were like a behavior therapist. I say it all the time, you know, like we had 20 psychologists sitting around the fire. We just didn't have a piece of paper on the wall to tell us that's what we were. Beautiful. You know, it was all around behaviors and, 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 and managing behaviors through the old stories. I am... Um I escaped from prison in 1990 and I got pinched in Darwin for robbing a bank up a prep there and um, and ended up in jail in Alice Springs. And um, <clears throat> anyway, there was, I was only, there was only me and another bloke in the yard that were white and spoke in, the English was a lot of them blokes a third language. Still, mate, still. Your yeah. kids going to school now that speak three and four languages before they go to school and learn English. One day, this guy spilled some tea on one of the elders and I could see the young fellas getting a bit upset with it. And I said, go and apologise to him. And, he's, and he made some racial slur. And I said to the old fellow, I said, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, look, I'll take care of that. And they were just beautiful people. And, and they're, they're people from Yindamu, the Warpy people from Yindamu, beautiful people, beautiful artists, beautiful culture. And and I really took an interest in their culture. And, and as you talk about, like, them blokes, man, they just set these young fellas around. And, and I don't, I, I didn't know what they were speaking, like, the language that they were speaking, because I didn't understand English, but I knew it was good. Who we are, this has been my observation. This isn't, you know, everyone's, everyone's thought, but who we are, my observation is that we're struggling to walk between two worlds. A world that's been introduced 200 years ago and a world that's been here for 100,000 years. And I say 200 years, that's us here. In Sydney, but there's parts that I've been to in Arnhem Land that were only colonised in the 50s and 60s. They saw the first white man walk in there. I think it was the I think it was the 50s. You know, don't you know? Don't quote my 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 history on that. But what I will say is it's only a couple of generations ago. So we're struggling to walk between two worlds, and we get judged in one particular world. Right, so a lot of the people down the southern parts of the country and the east coast, we're strong in the we're strong in the new and introduced world that they come here in 1788. Right, we're sitting here. I'm speaking to you in English, and I, I have a job, and and I, I live in a modern world. But there are elements of me and the people that I knock with that don't know a hell of a lot about the ancient world, the world that's always been here. 
I'm lucky enough that I've been experienced um, because of the you know the different travel that I've done, and I've I've been able to sit at a few different fires with some with some pretty special old people. That's important, Joe. Of course it is. And That's again, so important. It, and it, you just said your aha moment, right? You you know you're laying in bed, you were laying in bed, and you you felt full. Mm. A hell of a lot of me for a hell of a long time, in my life felt lost. Yeah, because I looked at myself and I was too black to be white and too white to be black. I didn't fit in either world. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know the dance. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the story of who I was. And again, after after the the, the sporting career, it's it's taken me. It's taken me on a journey and the most fulfilling journey that I've ever had about learning who I really am and where I really come from and the history of what that is and what it means. And not only the history of what it is and what it means, but now because I've been lucky to be exposed to a few different circles, the obligation of what that is wow. to share that yeah. with our young people. Because you can't keep what you have unless you give it away, yeah? It's not mine. That knowledge isn't mine. I'm just a, I'm just a caretaker of certain knowledges. It's my obligation to be able to share that and find the right people to be able to share that with so mm. then they have those behaviours to then share it. Hmm. That's life changing. It's life changing. You you know, sometimes something's just a flick pass and that that, that that's getting flicked past onto someone who really needs it. Our way of life is a big believer in everything happens the way it's supposed to happen at the right time it's supposed to happen. At exa- at exactly the time it happens. Universal. We we talk about this t- this this journey of life. We're all on this road and it goes up and down and around the place. And I thought I was going to be a footy player forever. And then I thought I was going to be fighting in Vegas as a boxer, you know. But it took me to my absolute depths to find out who I am, but also why I'm here. They say the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why you're born. Without doubt. The reason why I'm here, my purpose, is to share with people and help people be the best version of themselves. When I found that purpose is when I realised I was here to help survivors of institutional or sexual abuse start the healing process. You know, it was only brought to my attention recently. Someone said, Russell, you're a healer. And I went, I don't know how. I don't know. They said, you've helped 15,000 people. How does that feel? And I was overwhelmed, man, because like, I've never ever looked at myself in that light. You know what I mean? I was just my tag was I was Russell the bank robber, uh, escapee, drug addict, and everything like that. And I never uh, allowed myself to embrace something as prophetic as that. There are also labels that we form an identity around. Yeah. Because again, too black to be white, too white to be black. I didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was. Yeah, I, I was a I was a Wiradjuri Wogaloo man. I was an Aboriginal young fellow that that was proud of who I was, but I had absolutely no idea what that is. But then I formed this identity around being a sports person, and I formed the identity around being a boxer, and then I formed the identity identity around being a mental health advocate. They're all just labels. Yeah. And our identity, what our identity really is, is about our behaviours, rather than what we look like. It's about how we interact with people and what we can do to share and help people to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Johnny Lewis was a... The word nurturing has sort of been used uh, in regards to describing Johnny. What is it about Johnny Lewis that was nurturing and what was the importance of that? You know, nurturing is a beautiful word, isn't it? 
You know, yeah, let's look. It sounds at, soft. Let, well, let's. Well, it is right, but it's caring, mm. right? So let's look at what nurturing is and the behaviours of what nurturing is. And and Johnny Johnny encompasses that with everything that he does. You know, he's so soft and gentle with what he does, but he but he brings the best out of you. And I think, I honestly think that that so many of us are searching for a nurturing environment. All of us, particularly men. Right, because we, we form this identity around what we should be and how society should see us and, and how we've got to be tough and show vibrato and all of that sort of stuff, right? We've got to punch on at a drop of a hat. But, can't cry. We can't yeah, show no all, all of that sort all of the stuff, bullshit. right? Yeah. All of the rubbish, right? But when we, when we show vulnerability, there's super, there's super amounts of strength in vulnerability as well. I always talk about how we, as people, us as, as adults now, but babies, babies are born from love into love and they then are encompassed by the loving and nurturing environment well we should have that right since the since the beginning of time that's how it's always been connected communities in groups loving and nurturing right now we're not that and that's the challenge russ is that is that so many people particularly men are are searching for a nurturing environment Right, and this is why Johnny's so so powerful in what he does, and and gets gets the best. John, Johnny Lewis doesn't turn turn fighters into amazing fighters. Johnny Lewis shows people love to help them believe in themselves to get the best out of themselves. Self belief, what a powerful thing! And it all comes from that soft approach. You know, I've I've sat in I've sat in 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 communities right throughout the country with with elders around fires that when somebody does something wrong, they don't come down hard on them. They say, here now, come and sit down, son. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why that, that that's a problem. You know, rather than saying, don't do that, you mm. shouldn't do that, which is, which is how we all live now with young people. Kids are crying, we say, shut up, don't say nothing, right? Keep, wipe your tears up, get on with it, mm. right? But not often do a hell of a lot of parents say, tell me why you're crying. Because then, when when I understand why you're crying, that's when I can help you. Yeah. Right. And and again, it all comes back to that nurturing environment and feeling loved and validated and in in emotions. But them old people just cuddle you up with the most warmth, and they just say, "This is why we don't do those things. Because if we do, we continue to do those things. There's consequences for not just you, but other people within our circle. And 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 if a lot of people get hurt and harmed in our circle, then a lot of people aren't well. I don't even know if Johnny knows what he's doing with that. Yeah. You know, it's because he's just such a, a beautiful, nurturing guy. There's so much that so many of us can learn from that in in these these young people who are just searching for identities in whatever it be, the, the circles that they knock around in, you know, and, and, and getting themselves into troubles because they're, you know, in big groups or or, or whatever else that might be. You look at it, it's all around insecurity and it's all around not being loved and nurtured. And I'm sure that there's people that you've knocked with, even inside, that just need a hug. You know, it's, we've had two previous guests on here and, you know, the crux of their trouble was all they wanted was a dad. All they wanted was a male role model in their lives to show them the way. My dad was just not a communicator. I don't blame him. He just was the dad. It's probably all he learned. Yeah, that's exactly right. He was, that's all he, he didn't have a dad. So he didn't know how to be a dad. So I'm not, you know, I love my dad and, you know, he had his faults, but, you know, but 
the importance of communication and validation. I think validation is, man, you are loved. You are, you know, you are worthy. You know, your opinion matters. Your feelings matter. You know, I, I'll tell you, I'll, uh, there's an indigenous guy called Tim Matthews who was in jail. I don't want my first stick ups with him but tim got his shit together tim was this bloke could fight play for, he was 110 kilo 58 in the golden comp you know what i mean just tough as like everyone feared him but he was a fair guy and um got out of prison and and, and got his life together and um he was on message stick you know, mm. and he was on message stick and he was tired and they were saying they were asking him and he said when did you really know your real strength he said when i learned how to cry it resonated with me like I went far out. Like, here's this big, tough guy who I idolised. I was saying that, you know what I mean? He said, that's where my real strength came. When I come, he said, because he described it as a pressure cooker, he said, you know, the pressure cooker's got a release valve. And he said, when I learned how to open up the release valve and let the tears out, he said, that's where the real strength came from me. And, I, I you know, and men have got to reinforce that with boys and, and you know, and, and girls, you know, that it's okay to show your emotions. It's okay to be real. It's okay to be authentic. The old ways of of living for thousands and thousands of years was around nurturing, was around an environment that was safe, around around emotional emotional safety and vulnerability. You know, so we just have to continue to to encourage the fact that everything's okay, and it's how it's how we speak to our kids. You know, I've got I've got a an almost eighteen year old, sixteen year old. Almost, uh, sorry, eleven-year-old, almost eight-year-old, and almost five-year-old. Right, so five kids, very different ages, from separate families, and I've been a different dad to all five of them because of circumstance, because of learning as well. My teenagers, they struggle to show emotion. I just haven't cried to me son before we got we got in here, and he goes, "Don't cry, Dad." It's probably a response, an automatic response. It's not his fault, but it's an automatic response. But when we say these sort of things, we don't we don't actually understand the power of what we're saying. You know, it's okay to cry. You know why? Every one of us do it. Mm. I don't care. I'm, you know, you're probably knocked with some staunch, staunch people mm. that will never show vulnerability or weakness, right? Because unfortunately, the systems, those systems, don't allow for vulnerability because it's survival state. Some of the toughest guys in prison would. I, I just I, I know this way of thinking. They wouldn't show emotions in a cell on their own because they'd think there's a hidden camera in there and someone mm. would eventually see it. That's just how paranoid and how ingrained that is in someone. Isn't it, isn't it really sad? Society doesn't allow us to be authentic, you know, to be real, to be true to ourselves. And, you know, I mean, I'm learning that, man. I, you know, we talk about, you talk about coaches and that screamed at you and, and that sort of thing. I, I'm the same. I, I, I don't respond to that. I respond to love and... um. I spent 20 years in prison being told I was a shitbag or being, you know, you'll be back next week when I was getting out and having these scumbag and, you know, and denying me a toilet roll, saying, you know, I'll come back later in two hours and, you know, and, and just treating me like a, an animal. And I deal with that today. It's part of my own trauma. It's part of my own trauma. But what's gradually happening through, you know, being in a love and reinforcing relationship and getting self-worth. And, you know, I think I realised today that I've got, I've got it got that self-worth i realized that i'm worthy of not being spoken to like that i'm not that person they're projecting because that's projection 100 percent it is right so they're projecting what they're feeling but it's also out of a protection mode for them as well they have to feel they have to feel like they're hard and they're staunch because Mm -hmm. because again it's probably everything that that they've learnt about those systems where they're working Mm -hmm. right i i cannot comprehend a system that 
we put people away without addressing the behaviours and just perpetrating further behaviours onto them. And then we expect them to come out and, and, and do good. Mm. Like, it, like I just True. cannot comprehend a system that thinks it'll work like that. Treat them like animals and not come out and act like humans. It Don't makes work. absolutely no sense. But that's that, that's everything of what, of, of what they, you know, what those systems are. And and again, like I, I deal with people that that want that want to fix their life or want want to help help put themselves onto a better way. And they say, I want to put myself onto a better way because I don't want my kids to go through it. I don't want my kids to do the thing. But how many times have we heard people say, I don't want to be like my old man. I don't want to be like my mum. But that's exactly where they end up. And most of the time, by the time they realise that, they already are. They're already in it, mate. Yeah. They're already in it. And that's the challenging things around trauma and behaviours is that is that the challenging conversation that, that isn't loud enough is about, about normalising behaviours. Yeah. And about how we normalise alcohol abuse. You know, we normalise different behaviours. And, and words. words. Words are knives, I reckon. And words how, are important, yeah, for sure. And how we normalise certain words that, man, I... I come out. I come out of prison, and it was and the, the talk that my young bloke and I'd say, "Is that how you talk to your friends?" And what, before I said, before I went away, I said, "Mate, your mate would want. To, I'd want to kill you if you spoke to me like that." Young, young fella, he was only he's only eleven. Um, I, I I spoke with him just uh, just last week, and he and he said, um, "He goes, oh, that bloke's a dog." Yeah, wow. and I was like, "Bad one." That's 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 a bad word, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's. Um, and and again, I, I've been I've been guilty of of turning a blind eye to words like that in the past because I didn't understand the depth of what those words meant. Mm. Right, and I I just find it really challenging that young people just normalise normalise those things now. And again, we normalise that to our young people. Our young people are going to normalise it to their young people, and the cycle continues. Crazy. We started the podcast off with uh, uh, what I said, the, the, the message you sent to Johnny Lewis about gratitude. What are you grateful for today? Oh, mate, how long? How long? How long's your list? <laughs> okay, it's, uh, and it goes. And again, this. I that's, could, can I just say something, Joe? I could talk to you all day. Even you, even you said in the start as well. You said, "I want to meet that bloke." Mm. I'm grateful that we're that we're yarning yeah, now, fine. right? Yeah, because it's fine. about you know different experiences and different things, right? And and you know shared shared experiences uh, helps other people in different ways, right? But the things that I'm grateful for in my life, I'm I'm grateful for growth. Russ, is that is that there there were there were elements of me that weren't weren't a great man, right? And I'm still and I'm still working out who that guy is. You know, you said something important earlier. You said that you've, you know, you you feel you feel healed. I think for me, and this is my story, my journey of being healed is a, is a journey of healing, mm. right? So I think I'm constantly uncovering different things, physical things, emotional things, but also things that are trapped within my nervous system that I respond to in different ways. I'm just grateful that. I'm aware of those things. I'm someone who's super aware of me. You know, I've got bipolar disorder, so I'm so I'm I can I can be aware of the huge highs and the extreme lows, right? But for a long time I wasn't, right, until I was three or four days into it. Right. So I'm so I'm super grateful now and and, and the practices of gratitude is that I, I write down things that I'm grateful for every day. 
Every morning, every morning I just write down three. And there might be just three little things. I'm grateful to get a drink of water today. I'm grateful to have exercise today. I'm grateful to wake up and be healthy today. Mm. You know, so it's... It's the things once we find once we find gratitude in what we do, once we find gratitude in our life in every single way of our life, we start to have a look at our life in a different light. I say gratitude is the conduit to peace. Oh. Without doubt. You know, and, and it's it's that journey towards that. Yeah, without doubt. And and the more gratitude that we can find in our life, the more things that we can have. Um, brother, I'm just I'm super, and and I don't want to say it like it's a you know it's a it's a tokenistic thing now. Is that I'm super grateful that we first connected, that led us down a path to talking for months, to now being on this path of sitting here with you today. Man, powerful! I'm glad that you're here. Choked me up a few times, brother. You got me, but it's fucking pleasure, Russ. It's important, mate. Again, I, I have this, I have this saying on my T-shirt, and it's, "Don't look at what, look at why." Yeah. You're visibly upset at the moment, and you say that it's coming from a place of gratitude, and that that's probably coming from places of the the experiences that you've been in, that we have conversations now that make sense to different things that we go through, you know, because if, when we start to understand the why, we understand so much. You know, when I went through the Royal Commission, uh, when I went through my compensation claim about the abuse I suffered, the first thing they offered was an apology letter from the institution that covered up the abuse. And I remember looking at it, and I, you know, and this was before they started negotiating money or anything like that, and I said, I'm happy now. I, I couldn't give a fuck about the money. I, and I said, I don't care about the money. I said, I'm happy with that. That'll do me. They understood why with that letter. And they said things that happened to you were beyond your control and it led you down a, a spiral, that you know, a, a trajectory of crime and drugs and that sort of stuff. And, it, you know, they acknowledge that. And that's all I ever wanted. After the sorry is the next part of the conversation, which is about forgiveness. Yeah. And people struggle with forgiveness because they can't let the people who do that to us off the hook. And this is where I change the conversation for a lot of people. I say, forgiveness isn't about them. Forgiveness is about you. 100%. Forgiveness is about freeing your mind from being trapped in resentment for those people that did those horrible and nasty things. What we need to do is live a life where our mind's free from the torturous things when we close our eyes at night. Brother Joey Williams, mate, thank you. Dead set pleasure. Part of my healing is doing this with you today and uh, I thank you, brother. Thank you for coming and thank you for making the effort. Thank you for making a dream come true for me, for you, just your presence. Let's uh, continue the journey, brother. Let's uh, continue the conversations and continue the friendship. Mate, honoured to be here and uh, hope the people who are listening got plenty out of today. I know I did.